Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. It's been a while, but very pleased that former Israeli ambassador to the U.N., Dory Gold, joins us. He's a diplomat. He was the permanent representative of Israel to the U.N. from 1997 to 1999. Currently, the president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. He was an advisor to former Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon and to Bibi Netanyahu. He also was... Some an expert. He is an expert on Arabic international law, especially Saudi Arabia. He wrote a book called Hatred's Kingdom: How Saudi Arabia Supports the New Global Terrorism, and he was an advisor to the Madrid Peace Conference and certainly keep his finger on the Israeli pulse. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you back again. Good to be with you, Zev, and the listeners. Thank you, thank you. So, Mr. Ambassador, what's going on with Israel? They're shutting down the country over and over again, draconian rules, hurting the Israeli economy. People want to go to Israel, and they're upset. Is Israel doing the right thing? I know they want to protect the citizens, but is this going too far, too often? Well, look, I have a lot of good friends who are in the uh, tourist industry, uh, hotel industry, and they're suffering. Uh, the last time we had a bad, um, let's say, strike of the corona, um, people, many hotels didn't fire their employees. Now they have to because they just can't keep them on. So it's bad for the Israeli economy. Do you think it's going to change? Because it seems like each time something happens, and I understand we want to be safe, but I'm not sure if these draconian rules really work. Well, um, with the newest um, uh, variant, right? Variant, thank you, uh, which has uh, certainly become the center of our attention. There is a um, the, there has been a mystery. Is it worse, or maybe it's not so bad? Uh, and there are different views. And you know, the Israeli health ministry waits for the health reports from South Africa where it originated and from England where it has really caused a lot of um, sickness um, and you usually have to wait two weeks three weeks till you get the clear picture um, and I think uh, Israel is erring on the side of caution understood well hopefully things will improve because a lot of people want to go to Israel and I know they need the tourism they need the, the money so Hopefully, they'll be able to strike a balance between protecting the public and also making sure that the public gets to go to Israel, the Jewish public especially. Sure. I'm curious, what do you make about, I know that you were you served Ariel Sharon, you served Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, especially in his first term. What do you make about Donald Trump seems to be turning on Bibi where he said blank Bibi and he wasn't sincere? What do you make about all this that's happening now? Well, I'm, I'm an expert in the Middle East and the Arab world. I'm not an expert in um, President Trump's um, outbursts. I, I can't explain them. I think President Trump did great things for Israel, you know, from the recognition of the Golan Heights uh, being under Israeli sovereignty to the... Um, position he took on recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital and then moving the embassy. You know how many presidents committed to doing that and never came through. So I, I can't 
ignore that. And um, frankly, there have been American presidents who have had these sort of strange moments that you can't explain, but uh, ultimately they were friends of Israel. I mean, Richard Nixon had some real doozies, as I would say. Uh, but in 1973, when we had our backs against the wall, he authorized a, a massive resupply of Israel. So uh, you have these um, situations when you have a president who's very close to Israel. These kinds of outbursts can come out. But, um, you know, again, I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not an expert on uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I appreciated what he did for the country. And as somebody who was director general of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Israel, when he was president of the United States, all I can say is um, uh, I saw up close what his administration did. And so, true, there's some tough language there, but that doesn't contradict the real um, help he provided. Facts on the ground. So how would you rate the current administration in Israel? Well, they haven't been in for very long. And as you know, a good diplomat um, tries to preserve good relations with both Democrats and Republicans. Um, but I think right now our focus is what's going to be with Iran. You know, Iran is a country which has systematically violated the agreement which it adhered to, I'm talking about the JCPOA, the Iran deal, and uh, Iran's, the quantity of enriched uranium uh, in Iran's hands has continued to grow. And um, I think we're looking at just a couple of months away when Iran will have all the pieces that it can put together to make uh, nuclear weapons. Well, there's some that shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening, and unfortunately, it is. And they've been trying it for a while. Israel has tried to stop it by assassinating some of the scientists and some other uh, incidents at the nuclear plants, but it's not enough. In your professional opinion, there's been debate in the Israeli press. Uh, does Israel have the capability to take out all of the nuclear plants in Iran? Well, again, I don't want to um, speak about issues that should be spoken about in closed rooms. But I'll say this. Iran has been on Israel's um, uh, radar, multiple. I mean that in multiple ways, uh, for a long time. Israel became conscious of uh, the Iranian nuclear program going back to the 1990s. And therefore, I believe that Israel has put in resources and planning and how to deal with that situation should we ever get to it. Well, if no, there were some reports that came out that say that the Prime Minister didn't do enough to prepare for this day. You've seen the reports in the Israeli media, I'm sure. Well, we have a country like uh, other democracies where um, people try and uh, say all kinds of things about past leaders. Uh, I think this was an issue that he was extremely focused on and everybody who saw him and heard him heard about Iran around the clock so it's a, it's a, a charge it doesn't make much sense 
Now, you're an expert on the Arab world, and I mentioned your best-selling book, Hatred's Kingdom, how Saudi Arabia supports the new global terrorism came out years ago, and you wrote about how Saudi Arabia supports global jihad, and they teach uh, the Wahhabism and also hatred of Christians and Jews. Because of Iran, and because you know, it's, Iran is a sworn enemy of Saudi Arabia and other Sunni states, has that changed? Because Saudi Arabia is now much closer to Israel. You have the Abrahamic Accords countries are now working with Israel regarding Iran. But in the case of Saudi Arabia, you think things have really changed drastically from when you wrote your book? I, in fact, have written this. Uh, I wrote an article that was um, put into a British uh, journal in which I said fundamentals that were there when I wrote the book Hatred's Kingdom have completely changed. And I'll give you just one example. When I wrote Hatred's Kingdom, the reason I took such a strong position against Saudi Arabia, we were in the middle of the Second Intifada. We had buses blowing up in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Ashkelon, Haifa, um, that mostly were being um, set off by Hamas. And um, today, uh, that's just not happening. What is happening is uh, that, um, first of all, financing. Back when I wrote the book, between 50 and 70% of the Hamas budget came from Saudi Arabia. Today, do you know how much money Saudi Arabia gives to Hamas? I'm going to say zero. Am I correct? You are 100% correct. Zero. That's a different situation. Um, this past year, Saudi Arabia put into prison in Saudi Arabia Hamas activists who had been engaging in terrorist activities. That didn't happen before. So I think we're moving into a new era in which uh, uh, Saudi Arabia is taking uh, the exact opposite position that it took in the 1990s and in the early 2000s. Is and I think they should be credited for it. And me, and I should say I, who wrote a New York Times bestseller around Saudi support for Hamas, I uh, should be the first person to acknowledge their changed position, and I have. Is their changed position due to their close uh, support and close affiliation with Iran? Uh, I, I think it's much deeper than that. I mean, I think Iran is certainly a... Uh, a cause for their changed position and their identification with some parts of Israeli policy, Saudi Arabia. So I think that's true. Uh, but I think also Saudi Arabia has been thinking through where did this ideological support for extremism and violence come from? And I think they came to the conclusion it didn't come from Wahhabism which is a Saudi doctrine, it came from the Muslim Brotherhood, which was originally an Egyptian organization from 1928. So they have taken a very hard stand on the Muslim Brotherhood. It is illegal in Saudi Arabia. Way back when, in uh, you know, the 1960s, uh, the leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood were living in Jidda and other Saudi cities and teaching in Saudi universities. That is no longer the case. And so, again, we're in a new situation. We should acknowledge it. And I believe both the United States and Israel have a joint interest in uh, building ties with Saudi Arabia. 
Ambassador Dory Gold is our guest. He's currently the president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. He served with distinction as Israel's permanent representative to the United Nations from 1997 to 1999. He also served the Prime Ministers Ariel Sharon and Bibi Netanyahu. So, Mr. Ambassador, so Saudi Arabia, can it go back? Because you still have very conservative elements in Saudi Arabia, and while they're much warmer to Israel, but it's not on the same level, as, for example, as UAE. Uh, UAE is a very special country, and Israel has a full peace treaty with the UAE. It does not have a full peace treaty with Saudi Arabia. But I think we're going to get there. You think we're going to get there? Pardon? I said you think we're going to get there soon. We're going to get there. Not soon, not around the corner, but we'll get there. So, But Saudi Arabia was a big supporter of Hamas, and they've been replaced by other players, such as Qatar. Qatar is a major contributor to Hamas and the, uh, and the Gaza government. Qatar is a small country. It has a lot of money, but it's a small country, and it knows how to also um, uh, ingratiate itself with the West. I mean, for example, they supported the Taliban, but at the same time, they created and agreed to a huge U.S. Air Force base in Qatar, uh, which helped America wage wars in the Middle East. So, which is the real Qatar? Uh, it's very problematic. I used to visit Qatar. I used to speak to its emir, to its foreign minister frequently. But, um, you know, they were just not reliable partners. Uh, they're partners who have to change. And I think there's some elements showing, some developments showing that Qatar has uh, modified its position in the last year. Oh, they have, because for a while, because they also hired some uh, lobbying firms, some strong Jewish lobbying firms, and they had trips where they brought prominent Israel, prominent American Jews to Qatar. So for a while, they were looking to, I guess, play all angles, so to speak. You go to the Four Seasons Hotel in Doha, and you'll find all your friends. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to turn to Syria. Uh, Syria... Uh, with Assad, certainly he's in power. He's kept, the, from what I've spoken to, quite a few individuals in the know that he's kept pretty much the status quo as far as Israel is concerned. But on the other hand, he's in partnership with Iran and Hezbollah, and they're certainly looking to build up uh, against Israel in Syria, especially regarding the Golan Heights. So what is the status there? Look, Iran has a very clear interest and they are exercising that interest every day. And that is to surround Israel, encircle Israel with Iranian forces, with um, Iranian proxy organizations like Hezbollah. And if we didn't take military measures against both the Iranian armed forces and against the various militias that are operating from Iran, uh, from Syria, excuse me, uh, we would have a quarter of a million man army facing Israel along our northern border. No, serious, serious things. Um, and certainly it's a dangerous area, but it's interesting because 
in Syria, you have so many different competing players. You have Iran, Hezbollah. Israel has to clear with the Russians. So the Russians are supporting uh, the Iranians that are there, the Syrians. On the other hand, they let Israel go and destroy some of the sites of, of weapons coming in. It's such a delicate balance that it could explode at any time. Well, it requires smart diplomacy. It requires uh, maintaining close ties with the Russians, who know how dangerous Syria could become if we weren't exercising our right of self-defense vis-a-vis the Iranian forces there. So um, I'm just saying, with a multiple, a for, a multiple um, military units that are operating in Syria, um, Israel has to operate like a brain surgeon. <laughs> find the the tumors and remove them, but um, uh, watch out for the interests of all the players. Absolutely, I want to turn to a world figure. I'm referring to South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who passed away recently. The world has been mourning him as being a champion of fighting apartheid, and yes, he was. But the irony is, while he fought for his people to have freedom and their own country and also uh, freedom of movement and against the apartheidism. He was, I won't call him anti-Israel, but he certainly was uh, a problem for Israel because he was, well, what he wanted for his people, he didn't really want to grant for the Israeli people. Uh, You're 100% correct. And uh, Desmond Tutu, unfortunately, uh, if he wasn't anti-Israel, he was also an anti-Semite. He was also. Are you saying he was an anti-Semite? Yes. He was also, and I would make this very clear, he was the man who popularized the accusation that Israel's an apartheid state. Right. uh, Something we resist. I served as Israel's ambassador to the United Nations. I understand how dangerous that accusation is and how baseless it is. You know, you might remember that back in the year 2000, no, excuse me, 2010, I debated um, Justice Richard Goldstone, the South African judge that led a commission, a UN commission, on Israeli behavior in the Gaza Strip. Now, Goldstone, back when we were having to deal with his report on Gaza, was not a friend of Israel. He was um, representing a very hard line against us. But Goldstone, to his credit, a few years after his report was issued, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times explaining that Israel was not an apartheid state, that that definition doesn't apply to Israel. But Tutu kept it going all the time. And for that reason, I cannot uh, see anything positive on Desmond Tutu from the Israeli perspective. I think fighting apartheid was the right position that Tutu took. And I think it's a position that we, the state of Israel, have now taken uh, for a a number of years. But Tutu was acting 
as probably the most dangerous adversary of the state of Israel in the diplomatic world. Because he was respected. He was a Nobel Prize winner, and he had moral, at least people perceive him to have a moral cause and a moral way of doing things. You mentioned a few moments when he was an anti-Semite. Can you define that more? Did he say anything beyond the apartheid that, that shows you to label him such? Well, if you don't recognize the rights of the Jewish people to national self-determination, you recognize that right for other people, but you deny it to the Jews, that sets you up for that accusation. And that's what uh, I have said in the past, and I will say it in the future. No, certainly. Um, I remember when he came to New York and people were upset about it. I think it was under the mayoralty of David Dinkins, so there was some tension with the Jewish community about him being feted and celebrated at City Hall at the time um, because of you know his position on Israel. Um, did you ever have reach out to him or speak to him during your time? I, no, but I'll say this. Part of my job when I was Director General of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was to support the Israeli government's outreach to the African countries. And therefore, I went to South Africa on multiple occasions. I uh, reached out to um, African states across the Sahara and, in fact, reestablished diplomatic relations with many of them. And um, we would have long discussions about this apartheid accusation. And they just... They just rejected it. Uh, I remember also meeting with, at the time, the foreign minister of South Africa, who was a real ANC radical. And, um, you know, she was beginning to pull back from that accusation. But Desmond Tutu continued to accuse Israel of being an apartheid country, no matter the evidence and no matter what international lawyers came forward to uh, represent our position, um, he persisted. Didn't he have a relationship and association with the Palestine Liberation Organization? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That should be highlighted because because they're a group that was bent on Israel's destruction and killing Jews and killing Americans as well. the, The PLO was the organization that we made peace with, supposedly, uh, with the Oslo Accords. So, uh, but there's a big question, and historians will have to resolve this, uh, whether they really changed, or maybe they simply uh, exercised their, um, um, uh, I don't say their right, they exercised their option to wage war against Israel in another way, a diplomatic war. So... Um, well, well, they actually have because you were the diplomat and you were there. We see it always intrigued me that when you had the different white plantation uh, meetings and you have different arrangements where Israel offered the Palestinian Arabs 97, 98% of the territory that it took back during the Six-Day War, and they turned it down because they didn't want it to come from Israel. They wanted it to come from the international scene. They didn't want it to be given by Israel, which shows the hatred of Israel. You know, uh, one of the last big diplomatic initiatives that occurred was during the Obama administration. And it was John Kerry, the Secretary of State, who was advancing that initiative. And uh, I recall that he arrived uh, to the 
uh, White House, to the Oval Office, to meet with President Obama. He brought with him, of course, Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen, and um, explained to Abu Mazen that uh, the, um, the President Obama's initiative had been accepted by Bibi Netanyahu with reservations, which was the option you had in the American diplomatic rules. And so he turned to Abu Mazen in the Oval Office, uh, Tom Kerry, and he said, well, what's your position? Are you going to support the initiative as well, even with reservations? And the answer that um, Abu Mazen gave to President Obama was, I'll get back to you, and he never did. So you can see that peacemaking was not a smooth operation back then, and I think we're still paying a price for it now. I just found out recently, and I don't know why I just did, didn't get on my radar screen earlier, that during the Obama administration, Ben Rhodes, who was a deputy national security, was known as Hamas for his criticism of Israel, and he wore that label proudly. He mentioned to people that he was called Hamas. Well, you know, look, people have their um, preferences and their uh, willingness to overlook the... Um, crimes that organizations like Hamas have assumed. I can tell you this, Hamas today is illegal in Saudi Arabia. Hamas today is illegal in the United Arab Emirates. These guys read Arabic. They know what Hamas says and what Hamas thinks. And that's why it's surprising when you hear any kind of um, American or British expert or ex-official on the Middle East who shows some kind of understanding for, for Hamas. Hamas is the organization that um, funded, trained people to engage in the murder of Israelis, the murder of Jews, and that has to always be remembered. No, it certainly does. In the few moments we have remaining, Ambassador Dory Gold is our guest, China. And Israel. China is a dangerous country on the world scene, but Israel has a relationship with China. Can we look at the pros and cons? Well, I think Israel has to have a diversified portfolio in foreign affairs. It has to have relationships with a number of countries. Of course, it doesn't have to support their policies. China has not helped the state of Israel diplomatically. China was the country that brought nuclear technology to the Iranians initially back in the 1990s. And um, I was invited uh, to come to China a number of years ago and speak to the Central Committee of the Communist Party. I did it, and I laid out, listen, guys, I know what you're up to, and you've got to change this if you want real friendship with us. You can't support these uh, General Assembly resolutions that don't recognize the legitimacy of the Jewish state and at the same time say that you're for um, deepening the friendship with the state of Israel. It's just a, a contradiction in terms. So you have to be truthful, you have to be uh, honest, and you have to tell them the way the situation is, uh, but you should at the same time leave open a door if they change their policies, but particularly policies to Israel and policies to the United States. Ambassador Gold, who is president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, he served uh, various prime ministers, including Bibi Netanyahu and Ariel Sharon, 
and he was Israel's ambassador to the United Nations from 1997 to 1999. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Brana. He is so smart, and he is so innovative, and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikach, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, hawklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalkLineNetwork.com. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.